Morning, gentlemen. Music uh, is such an important part uh, of our journey. And um, I'm loving this series. I'm hoping that you're hearing the voice of God and um, through it. And I want you to continue to be mindful of music. And several of you have given me songs that we want to add to our playlist, but we're developing a uh, into the wilderness uh, playlist. I mean, songs, music that you and I um, can listen to when we're really in uh, the dark times of our lives. As I mentioned to you the last couple of weeks, you know, I've played uh, uh, two different versions of um, It Is Well With My Soul by uh, Horatio Spafford. And uh, I'm going to offer you another song that uh, is uh, Christine uh, DeMarco's take on the same song. Uh, I could just play that song over and over and over by different artists uh, for 13, 15 weeks, whatever. Uh, but Christine uh, DeMarco, a uh, young lady with great uh, talent, um, has a song, It Is Well. The core of the song, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. It is well with me. May it be well. Uh, with us. May you hear the voice of God. Still know 
say this to you uh, about that song. Uh, 
it's um, it's hard not to watch that song, hard to watch that song without uh, identifying with the story of my daughter. Uh, I don't know Christine DeMarco, but she appears to be about the same age as my youngest daughter, uh, Abigail, 29. And so much of Abigail's story is uh, she graduated from the University of Alabama in fashion design and always had the dream of going to New York in the fashion design industry. And uh, she graduated in June and she, the, the next week she was in New York. Uh, and um, the way I would put the four years that she spent in New York is she entered the belly of the whale on her own initiative. And uh, New York ate her, and she would tell you that. And she and Carla and Audrey, my oldest, are doing a, um, a trauma workshop this weekend at Bellwether uh, Church. Um, and Abigail will tell her story of um, uh, going through the wilderness in New York. And it was trauma. And when Abigail came home uh, to us and spent the next uh, three years in Fairhope with us, um, just the least little thing, uh, would trigger her trauma to where she would literally, no exaggeration, be in the kitchen floor wailing, uh, like a newborn, uh, that the least little thing would set off. Uh, I mean, trauma is real. I've seen it. And, um, and yet now, um, she's at a beautiful state, uh, uh, place in her life that, that that song is everything to her that that was Abigail singing that song uh, to me. It is well. It is well. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 16, 13 that we start with every Thursday morning. I believe those words are as real today as they ever are. Be on the alert. Um, you know, the humorous acronym uh, in AA uh, for sober, S-O-B-E-R, son of a gun, everything's real. You know, S-O-B-E-R, you know. I changed it a little bit there. You know? um, it's like, be on the alert. Be strong. As Joe was saying, there is nothing that God has given us that uh, is not intended to draw us to him, not away from him. Um, and yet we're going to have to act like a man, and it will be hard. Did you really think it was going to be easy? Did you really think it would be easy? Think again. Um, as we've talked uh, in the beginning of our series, part of the Christian call is the good news is you're forgiven and the promise of eternal life is yours. Good news. Everything's forgiven. You know what the bad news is? It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. 
The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. The logo uh, that we've chosen for this series even, and Jeff, if you'll put the uh, logo up, I just wanted to draw reference uh, to this again. This is St. Jerome, um, a Catholic saint. And what's interesting about St. Jerome is not just his story, but the painting uh, is a painting by Leonardo da Vinci. And da Vinci was incredibly detailed, um, incredibly research-oriented. And so part of the power of this painting is it's one of da Vinci's unfinished works. Um, in the summer, it was hanging in the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art uh, in New York. And the incompleteness of the painting is part of its power. It's kind of a metaphor for our own incompleteness and how God works through the wilderness. And the true story of Jerome is that he began his ministry as a hermit monk in the wilderness before coming back in to the monastery and spending his life translating the Hebrew and Greek scriptures to Latin. And the way da Vinci portrays him is he has a stone in his right hand. And it's the idea of he's going to beat his chest. And thank God, you know, we don't have to beat our chest in order to beat out the sin in our lives. That's a cleansing of Jesus. God doesn't call us to be a monk, but he will take us into the wilderness. And then part of the power of this, of this is as, as Jerome is sitting in the wilderness, the lion is at his feet. Be the lion. The power that is available to us, even in the wilderness, is portrayed in da Vinci's rendering of St. Jerome. Very powerful, St. Jerome. Through this series, um, I have offered you the opportunity to write something for this journal. This journal um, is a, a journal that I picked up um, in Fairhope. Uh, guy makes these uh, journals, and uh, this is a little uh, children's storybook. And the first thing that I saw at his stand at the Fairhope Art Festival last March was Broken Arrow. And Broken Arrow is the term that we use in our men's community uh, for guys going through wilderness experiences. And George or Chris or any of us could put Broken Arrow on our uh, phone or an email, and we would immediately get 
10, 15 hits by guys that would respond to us because we understand broken arrow to mean I'm in trouble. I need help. And what I, what I will do each week uh, is in these blank pages, there's two sticky pads. And I, I want to offer you the opportunity to just write something on the sticky pad that you have learned yourself by going through the wilderness or that you would want to communicate to a guy who is in the wilderness who would be a broken arrow guy. And we'll stick it um, in the journal and it'll just be a, be a source to where I can take a picture of it or you can at any time and just send it to a guy. Here's, here's just a reading. Here's just a perspective from one of our guys. So it'll be here. Broken arrow. I'm in the wilderness. I you to pick out your uh, pick up your pen. Let's go to work. Three questions. Again, today's session is wilderness increases our need for relationship. So, why is that so important? Because gentlemen, life is about relationship. It's not about your finances. Uh, it's not about your career. It's not having all your to-do list done. I mean, really, is it the most important thing in your life, those that you love and that love you? I hope you can say yes. But as Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. What, what does your life demonstrate? Does it demonstrate that relationship really is the most important thing? First question I want you to respond to. What, what is your greatest longing? What is your greatest longing in life? I believe God works through our desires. I you to be honest about that. What would you say your greatest longing is? Retirement? <laughs> um, Super Bowl tickets? I hear they're going for about 6000 a ticket this year, you know, what's your greatest longing? I want to suggest to you by that question, what we're talking about this morning is connection. That I would hope that your greatest longing on a conscious level is for connection, for intimacy, for love. And the greatest challenge of your life is to figure out how to do that with those that you love. And the first question that you always want to ask when you're trying to get connected is what is it about me that's inhibiting and prohibiting close connection? But though that is what we would want to ask, what do we ask? Yeah, Joe's got it. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why don't you? But I would hope that even as we go through our session this morning, that we can be consciously aware that our greatest longing, whether it's conscious or unconscious, really is to be connected. Even when you don't know that, you're not conscious of that, it are that. It are that, to be connection, connected. Second question. What is good about stress? Now, that's not a trick question. 
What is good about stress? If you're in my office uh, and you're talking about the stress, the anxiety that you're going through, I might even ask you that question. What's good about it? I want you to write that down for a minute. Just, just take a minute and write that down. Well, what's good about stress? And I would suggest to you that, that what is good about stress is that it is intended to drive me to relationship. That I would suggest to you very strongly um, as a professional counselor that to the degree that you're under a lot of stress is to the degree that you need closer connection. Now, I'm not opposed to medication. Uh, I had a guy in my office recently uh, who has uh, begun to take medication, and it's really helped him, and I'm glad he's on medication. But what we've been working with to his own admission is he is extremely isolated. He is well-respected, a professional in, in all parts of his life, and he's isolated. Why do you think he's having such difficulty with stress? And I would say because he's disconnected. And if he had more close relationships, that he would have less problems with the stress. Stress is intended by God to move us toward connection. Third question. Who do you know? that's in the wilderness right now. I want you to write that down. <laughs> I hope you are aware, because I guarantee that people you know, people you met with yesterday, people you'll meet with today, they're in the wilderness. Really? Yeah, really. So who do you, write their name down. Write their name down. And then I want you to take just a minute or two, turn to the partner next to you, and I want you to share who you know is in the wilderness. And if, and if you want to keep it private with the name, just tell the story. You don't have to reveal the name. And it may be you. You may be in the wilderness. Tell your story. Make a friend. Tell your story for just a minute.
Okay, let's uh, continue. And um, I'm sorry that if you got with somebody that did all the talking, you know, we don't we don't we don't card for narcissism. We just allow them to come on in. So, uh, but again, guys, part of our whole series is just being aware, increasing our awareness. Again, as I've worked with men for more than 30 years, uh, one of the greatest tools in the hands of the enemy is keeping us unaware, um, not being aware. We don't get it. You know, we miss it. Um, I want to tell you just a quick story of a, of a young man who's in the wilderness. Um, my life was changed this week because uh, I got to sit um, with a young guy that lost his dad two years ago. I have a really uh, good friend, uh, counselor friend who's a colleague um, uh, down in Daphne. Um, and we met her, Carla and I did when we first moved uh, down to Fairhope. And she's become a good friend. And um, she and her husband have attended our couple's workshop. And she sends uh, uh, referrals to me. And she sent me a text uh, uh, over Christmas holidays. And she said, Phil, I have a 12-year-old young man that I'd like you to see. I don't know if you see teenagers or young guys like that. But I think you would enjoy him. And I know he would enjoy you. Will you work with him? Now, I quit working with teenagers uh, and young guys several years ago because, you know, I sat across from a teenager and he's looking at me with his arms folded and he's saying, okay, old guy, old guy, you know, what do you got from me? And I've sat in those uh, uh, sessions enough to where, you know, I wanted to say, you know, I don't want to be with you any more than you want to be with me. And uh, I had this one teenager in my office, and I have a trunk uh, in front of the love seat that is in my office, and the clients used to sit on the love seat. So he's sitting on the love seat, and I have Carla decorated my office. I just kept my mouth shut and let her put it together, you know. And so I have these keys on a trunk and a trunk that we got at a flea market, and it's kind of a coffee table and all that. And so this teenager's sitting there, and he's got his arm folded, and he's so mad, and he's showing, and he says, you know, I don't, I don't know why I have to be in here. I don't want to be in here talking to some old guy. And, 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 and then you got these keys on, on this, you know, like, like, you know, like the keys to my life or something. And, and then this trunk, like, like, you know, all my stuff is supposed to go in the trunk or something. What are you trying to do to me? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, dude, I said, you're giving me a whole lot more credit than I deserve, you know? I've never thought about the keys. That's pretty good. And the trunk, wow, I'll have to use that one. Thank you. Dude, I'm not that smart, you know? See you next week. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Make sure your dad writes a check and mails it in. But um, so, so, so I told um, a counselor friend that I would meet with them one time. And uh, mom and 12-year-old son show up um, in my office. Wow. My life was changed. I sat with mom and son for 10 minutes or so, and, and then I felt like I had a reasonable enough connection 
with 12 year old. And I said, would you mind if we asked mom to step out and would you be comfortable just talking with me? And he said, yeah. And I looked at mom and she gave me the nod. And so we escorted mom out for the next 40 minutes. Um, I asked him about his dad. It was two years ago. He's 10, he was 10. He's now 12. He was a 12-year-old, and I'm not around a whole lot of 12-year-olds. Some of you have 12-year-olds as sons. I mean, this guy, like, you know, subject, verb, object, you know, he could talk. <laughs> you know, he could arrange his sentences, you know, and he actually looked me in the eye. Dude, it was, it was the sweetest time I've had in a long time. And he just cried, and I cried with him because he had lost his dad. And I said, what's the hardest part about losing your dad? And he said, I don't have anybody to throw the football with. Oh my goodness. I, I was done at that point. It was real. My 12 year old friend is in the wilderness and I can't get him out of the wilderness, but I'm going to walk with him and I'm going to sit with him. And it will be my honor. I brought mom back in and I said, thank you. I said, if you will allow me to, I would love to work with your son in the wilderness with a 12-year-old. Wow. I want you to turn over to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. God's desire. God's desire. I don't understand God's ways. I don't understand my 12-year-old friend's loss of a dad and having to grow up without his dad. But I do believe God's in it. Psalm 95. Come, let us shout praises to God. Raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence singing praises lifting the rafters with our hymns. And why? Because God is the best, even in the wilderness. Because God is the best. High king over all the gods. In one hand, he holds deep caves and caverns. In the other hand, grasps the high mountains. He made ocean. He owns it. His hand sculpted earth. So come, let us worship, bow before him, on your knees before God who made us. Oh, yes, he's our God, and we're the people he pastures, the flock he feeds. Now, guys, nobody would disagree with that in, in this room, I don't think. You know, that's, that's like, that's, that's almost a yawn on Sunday morning. You know, that's a call to worship, you know, and I know you're thinking about the fried chicken at lunch or something, you know, and all that. But in the next part of it, 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 it really gets real. And this is what God does. Now listen to this. Verse 7. Drop everything and listen. Listen as he speaks. Don't turn a deaf ear as in the bitter uprising, as on the day of the wilderness test. When your ancestors turn and put me to the test, for 40 years they watched me at work among them as over and over they tried my patience and I was provoked. Oh, was I provoked? It's like I wanted to smoke them. 
the, the emotion of God? Can't they keep their minds on God for five minutes? Do they simply refuse to walk down my road? Who made the road? God made the road. Exasperated, I exploded. They'll never get where they're headed, never be able to sit down and rest. What he's saying in that passage is that I take people into the wilderness so they can hear my voice. God's place is the wilderness. Now, again, that raises so many hard questions. With my 12-year-old friend, with you, with the people on your list that's in the wilderness, how could this be? And I'm telling you guys, if you're not willing to work with mystery and unanswered questions, then you better turn in your God badge and just check out. Because God is not apologetic about not giving us all the answers. I have more questions today than I did when I first started walking with God. I have less answers today, but I have a deeper conviction of God's presence. The wilderness is God's place. He deepens our understanding in in the contrast between Israel's understanding and Jesus's understanding is uh, uh, powerful. That uh, Israel stayed in the wilderness for 40 years and didn't get it. Jesus symbolically went into the wilderness for 40 days and he got it. 40 years of wandering, 40 days of intentionality and deliberateness and surrender. And guys, the fuel in God's engine is vulnerability. Vulnerability. My little 12-year-old friend, wow, changed my life. Gave me a new picture. He just cried. He cried. The tears were right here. And his mother said he normally doesn't cry. Thank you, Jesus. He came into my office and felt safe enough to cry. And I just honored his tears. It was beautiful. It was holy. Thank you. And guys, I meet with so many men who will not do vulnerability. Wow. I've got a couple that I have worked with for years. And he is so scared that he will not do vulnerability. And when you don't do vulnerability, what do you do? What what would be the antithesis of vulnerability? Hide, anger, protect, defensive, blame, projection. Somebody else is the problem. And yep, that's that's my other friend. My 12-year-old friend, mm mm-mm. Nothing like that. See, growing in your relationship with God is part of the wilderness experience. It's what it takes. Growing in one's relationship with God is God's purpose of wilderness experiences. It's the attachment theory that we talk about in counseling that we're seeking proximity with others. Babies are hunting out mother. And if the baby just is just trying to survive, 
just getting along, the baby is going to be a malfunction at the junction little guy, little girl. But it's like hard times of searching out mama actually creates the need in the child. And God does that in us. He reparents us. He nurtures us. He wants to be mother and father. And so stress is needed. Stress is a good thing. Again, too much stress will cause your heart to attack you. I get that. But to remove all stress means you're like little Johnny on Ritalin. You know, little Johnny on Ritalin. You know, well, you know, little Johnny's doing a lot better. We got him sitting on the front row and he's got drool running down his chin. He doesn't know where he is, but he's doing a lot better. Really? Like, no. We don't want a stress-free person. What we want is a person who has stress and knows they need connection. We remember where to go. We remember where to go. Now, I want to show you um, some men who are headed into the wilderness. Again, we're using kind of as our case study uh, these band of brothers, um, easy company. And this is a three-minute clip of the real guys, the greatest generation. And I want you to listen to what they say. Again, what they were getting ready to do in in parachuting uh, behind enemy lines and taking out the German defenses at Normandy and then continuing into the Battle of the Bulge was a wilderness experience that most of us will not ever experience. Some of your fathers, grandfathers may have been there. And it's like, listen to what they're saying. They are headed into the wilderness. They experienced the wilderness of war. Listen to what they said. I never thought I'd get through D-Day, let alone the next phase or the next phase. I thought I was going to get killed instantly. I thought one of two things, a quick death uh, or I'd come through probably without a scratch. I think everybody had fear. I think uh, there's people that can handle fear. I think uh, I think I was probably one of them. I think I was just as scared as anybody else except I could think. It's a feeling you, you would not let yourself down. And you would not let your comrades or your unit down. We all had fear, but we all had training to know that uh, you try to handle your fear and and work to accomplish what you're supposed to be doing. That the core men, as the ones that was there at the very beginning, they are very close and. Uh, they accept people coming in like myself as a replacement, because you also have to prove yourself. Well, most of them were, we know were qualified parishes. They had to be. A lot of them were awfully green. And we knew that we just, we hoped we could keep them alive or they could keep alive. A lot of them didn't. 
But, uh, well, all right. They, they eventually blend right in. I think maybe they were trying to impress the older guys, maybe people like me or Shifty or... I don't know why, but uh, I got right there to where I didn't want to be friendly with replacements coming in because, God, I didn't like to see them get killed. I just... It just tore me up. Because we were in awe of them. They, they were wearing infantry badges, you know, that uniform. They had a star on their jump wings. They uh, uh, they were like heroes to us, you know. That's how we looked at them. And they were good. Furthermore, they were good. We had good officers for the most part. But we had excellent NCOs. They looked, they looked after you. testimony, the voice of men who went into the wilderness. I think everybody had fear. I didn't want to let my comrades down. We all had fear, but we all had training. Didn't want to get close. Didn't want to see them get killed. Just too hard. We had good NCOs. They looked after us. They looked after us. Guys, the wilderness is real. And yet, the glory of God is the objective. Why does God take us through the wilderness? And we'll just close with this. You can work through that. It's about the glory of God. I loved watching. Uh, football games last weekend. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. But I, but I think I most enjoyed uh, Lamar Hunt's uh, son, who is now the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, when he stepped up on the podium and he gave all the glory to God. And we've seen that before, but we don't see it enough. He gave the glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood skull to shame you. I'm writing as a father to you, my children, a father. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around you who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. This is why I sent Timothy to you earlier. He is also my dear son and true to the master. He will refresh your memory on the instructions I regularly give all the churches on the way of Christ. I know there are some among you who are so full of themselves they never listen to anyone, let alone me. They don't think I'll ever show up in person, but I'll be there sooner than you think, God willing. And then we'll see if they're full of anything but hot air. God's way is not a matter of mere talk. It's an empowered life. Guys, the wilderness is real. And God intends and wants to use it in all of our lives. To connect us to him to empower us to live life. 
and to reflect his glory. Thank you, Jesus. All I have comes from your hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us a life that is so much more than we ever imagined. It is painful. It hurts. It's confusing. It's perplexing. But Father, we know at the end of the day that you are God and we continue to trust you and surrender to you in a way that brings life and adventure and in love to us that we never could have imagined. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.